Welcome to EJB Talks, Rutgers Blaustein School Experts in Policy, Planning, and Health, where we talk with our faculty and staff experts, as well as students, about how the fields of public policy, urban planning, public health, health administration, and public and urban informatics affect your lives. Welcome to EJB Talks. I'm Stuart Shapiro, the Associate Dean of Faculty at the Blaustein School, and the purpose of this podcast is to talk with my colleagues and our alumni about policy, planning, and health, the interaction between these issues, and how they affect people in New Jersey, the United States, and the world. Today, I'm very happy to have Professor James DeFilippis from our nationally ranked urban planning program. Welcome to the podcast, James. Oh, thank you for having me, Stuart. It's good to be here. Absolutely. So your recent work has focused a lot on two issues, local economic development and immigration. Um, Since our audience is some planning, but some not planning folks, can you explain to the audience the connection between these issues and what they might think of as urban planning? Um, Sure. I mean, I think the the core with local economic development, I mean, that's been a part of what planners do really since um, the 1970s and 1980s. Um, You know, it was basically you had a coincidence in time of deindustrialization happening at the same time that the federal government was deciding it was going to stop doing revenue sharing and stop sort of, you know, funneling money um, through HUD directly and and, um, to city governments. And so cities became very quickly involved in how can we plan to have our economy be okay. Um, Immigration is, I think, a central part of what makes up and shapes the future of our cities, right? And if planning is ultimately about people getting together to, um, to rationally decide how to transform the, the places and spaces of their city to make them better, then which is how I usually just think about immigration, uh, think about planning, um, then immigration is a central part of that, right? Like who is populating our cities? And and so, you know, it, it becomes very much um, part of our narrative, although in interesting kinds of ways. Well, and nowhere is that more true than in New York City and in Queens, certainly where you've done your work. Um, can you tell your our listeners the, the story um, which I think is a fascinating one, obviously we could spend an hour on, of, uh, but doing it quickly, uh, of Amazon trying to open a facility in Queens and how that went down. Sure. Um, so Amazon, um, as you, your listeners um, probably remember, announced that they were um, taking bids for their HQ2, uh, for their, uh, you know, and this was through 2018. Um, and uh, and basically, it was a kind of standard kind of what can we get from local governments in terms of, of subsidies, um, very typical kind of gouge, um, you know, and this, again, is a story, right? Because, you know, a company like that can locate anywhere. A municipal government has a jurisdiction that is not physically mobile, right? And so they, they start out inherently unequally. Um, it's also, I mean, just to be clear, terrible local economic development policy to be doing tax subsidies for anybody, right? Um, I mean, it's not it's not a good long-term plan, but that's a separate thing. Um, they announced uh, two bidders, um, one, uh, two winners, um, 
one in Northern Virginia and the other in New York City, in Long Island City in, in Western Queens. Um, this is exactly, actually, I mean, if I could sort of the broader local economic development point is that the whole thing was a sham, right? They, they, they decided they were going to put their offices where they were always going to put them in D.C. because, um, or outside of D.C. because of, uh, of the, all of the kind of public work, um, you know, that they're, that they're doing and government contracts that they have, particularly with, um, with DHS. Um, and, um, and in New York because of the importance of media. Um, and, you know, here in New York, um, the reaction very quickly from the community, I mean, very quickly was to mobilize against it. Um, you know, even when it was a whisper, um, you had a coalition and it looked like they were going to announce it. You had a coalition of people getting together, um, in, a, a South Asian community group, um, in Jackson Heights, a couple of neighborhoods over from them. Um, and then you know, when they did announce it, they had a full citywide meeting of groups against it um, at a citywide organizing, um, immigrant organizing group, uh, which has its main offices in Jackson Heights as well. Um, and, and that is when sort of you had a whole set of different actors coming together. Um, uh, you know, it, the politics of it were super complicated, and I think we're going to spend a little more time on that. Um, but the way the story ends is um, after a few months, they announced this in November of 18. Um, by the time you get to February, Valentine's Day of 19, um, you know, a few months later, they announced they're going to pull out, right? Um, they had reached a deal um, and this is a podcast, so I could be cautious about my language. They'd reached a deal with some of the organized labor that was opposed, um, but they withdrew not just from the deal, but from the whole plan. And the postscript was is that, of course, Amazon is coming to New York anyway, right? Like if you read Crane's New York Business, um, which everyone should, kidding, but I do, um, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you you could keep up with the amount of office uh, space they're leasing in New York, right? The the reason why they um, they they walked away was because even at the three point two billion dollar subsidy, you know, stretched out over fifteen years, like what is that really to a company with annual revenues of one hundred sixty billion, you know, and and double digit growth rates, right? Like, what exactly is a three billion dollar subsidy? Yep. They, um, they, they have the luxury of treating that like chump change. Yes. Um, yeah, it's um, so the opposition, let's let's focus on that, because I know that's that's sort of where a lot of your your interest lies. Um, why? Uh, why did it materialize? And what why was it successful? Um, a few things. Um, it materialized from a bunch of different places. Right. That part of Western Queens. Um, is has been gentrifying very rapidly. Um, they have been sweeping away manufacturing um, through. They swept away manufacturing from a set of, of or through a set of rezonings uh, in the first decade of the 21st century, um, and that got rid of a whole sort of industrial ecology. We lost our manufacturing in New York City not because of globalization, but because of land use policy. 
right? Like what manufacturers always say is they cannot keep their land in New York. It's not that they're losing the competition um, from China or um, South Asia. It's that they just cannot keep their land. Um, and so they rezone a whole set of, uh, um, and put up condo towers. Um, and, um, and if you go along the seven train to the Eastern end of that, um, you have the center for um, Hong Kong and Taiwanese and, and mainland Chinese finance capital, right? And so all of the neighborhoods in between are basically being, it's like sort of the two fat ends of a dumbbell and all <laughs> uh-huh. of the neighborhoods in between are like the kind of rod, right? And in that rod, you have anywhere from 60 to 80% of the population being foreign born. Um, uh, it's not poor. These are not poor neighborhoods, um, any of them. Right. Um but they're not wealthy. These are very working class queens, right? Like this is yep. if Archie Bunker were Ecuadorian, right? He would be, <laughs> you know, like that. That's sort of the community, right? And, right. and the show would next, play very differently in that case. It would be a yeah. totally different. Show. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but anyway, so there's a natural sort of opposition um, to this kind of mega development in a context of displacement that is already occurring. Um, you fold into that the fact that in these neighborhoods, the fact that um, AWS is one of the principal contractors, Amazon Web, um, their cloud sort of work, um, you know, and, and their tracing work um, is one of the principal technological means that Department of Homeland Security utilizes to target immigrants um, who are for either sort of visa overstayers or unauthorized entrances, right? Like undocumented immigrants from either avenue to being um, undocumented. Um, and so in, in these immigrant neighborhoods, um, it was a very real issue that you were having, you know, the tech that is destroying their community, right? And you were, you know, while this is happening, right? You're having a whole sort of national scale sort of ramping up of um, a very disruptive detentions and very Mm -hmm. purposeful and very targeted. You know, these are not, I mean, you've always had the kind of like, you know, workplace raids at at poultry factory kind of things, right? Like, you know, and and that's a whole other conversation that we can have about the absurdity of American immigration policy. Um, But under under the Trump administration, you're also getting a lot more like, you know, sort of military RVs sort of rolling up residential neighborhoods to go to public schools. Right, knocking right? on like, doors. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, um, you know, and it was in these neighborhoods where, you know, so that, um, and so the organizers were playing that up a lot because they were greatly sort of, sort of affected by that and what that would mean. Um, and, um, and so it was essentially you had kind of the real estate pressure and then you had, you um, you know, sort of Amazon. Um, and then you had, of course, organized labor. Um, and so Amazon has the remarkable ability um, to make Walmart look like a good employer, right? Um, and so there is an incredible sort of hostility, particularly among um, the Teamsters and the retail workers unions um, because of the conditions in Amazon warehousing um, and short haul trucking um, and kind of last mile, sort of, you know, sort of the, all of the logistics um, of, of that once you go from the warehouse. Um, and so 
that confluence of neighborhood groups, um, immigrant rights groups, um, and labor um, was enough. Um, why did they succeed? Um, truthfully, I mean, this is what I was saying earlier, right? Like Amazon left the deal because they don't need the money. They're yeah. coming to New York. They're just coming right. quietly, right? Yeah. They would, you know, they walked away from a deal because if they had reached a deal, that would have had a much more significant kind of precedent-setting dynamic for their for their work, right? Because a deal that they might be reaching um, with the RWDSU and with the Teamster, sorry, Retail Wholesale uh, Department Store Workers Union, the RWDSU, um, uh, the retail workers, basically. Um, if they reach a deal with them about the conditions in their warehouses, it's not just in New York, right? It's not just a kind of large distribution site in Staten Island. Um, it becomes about, well, what are they doing in, in, for their massive distribution sites oh, in Maryland and in, you know, and everywhere, right? It becomes, and, you know, that, that's probably a lot more than $3 billion. So um, better, better to come in quietly and not with any commitments that, exactly. you, that you have to follow through on. That's right. And they're leasing. They're leasing at Hudson Yards. They're getting the public subsidy anyway, right. right? They're just, you know, they're just getting it. The public subsidy is baked into that development project already. They're, you know. Um, yeah. Um, so you talk a lot about organization politics. I mean, I, I've done podcasts on electoral politics here, but you're you're talking about something different. I was wondering if you could sort of expound on that. Sure. Um, I don't think. I mean, it's funny, right? Because we all recognize. Um, I think in 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 you know, in the world of politics, that you get things done when you have a constituency that is able to mobilize pressure, either through money or people. Um, uh, and that constituency is sufficient enough, uh, is, is powerful enough to overwhelm any opposition constituency that could be mobilized around people or money on the other side, right? Like right. that's sort of a, a very standard. And then the electeds just sort of go along with that, right? Like that's you should right. bring the electeds um, with you when you have either the people or money, right? It's sort of the old community organizer kind of language, you know, that there are two things, is organized people and is organized money. Um, and in communities, right, you don't have the organized money. So you got to have gotta the people. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Saul Linsky, um, you know, the old Chicago community organizer, sort of one of his mantras. Um, but in any case, um, what you have, um, but we don't take that sort of fundamental understanding and apply it to the way things are actually going to play out in any particular kind of context in quite the same way when we're talking about like urban politics and, and particularly around economic development, right? Um, like the whole literature on economic development um, is about sort of questions of equity and efficiency um, and and the policies thereof. And there's no sort of thinking about kind of the politics of, well, why are some ideas going to be embraced and, and others rejected, right? Um, and so what you had actually here, you had very different kind of organizational politics because the organizations as organized constituencies we're working off of their institutional interests, right? You had a very real split in organized labor, for instance. Um, you know, that uh, you had, as I've talked about, the Teamsters and the retail workers vehemently opposing the deal, but just as vehemently um, and, and sort of, you know, 
purposefully, you had the building trades unions um, and 32BJ, the building services, you know, the janitorial staff and, and security guard workers supporting the deal because they had contracts, right? And that's always the kind of dynamic, right? Like, you know, the building trades union will oppose any development until they get the deal that they want, and then they're all in, right? And they got that deal on day one because um, they'd worked with the developers, with Tia Cornerstone, with, with the other developers that were going to be involved um, in that project already, right? They already had those relationships, and they knew that that was going to happen. And the same with, was true with 32BJ, um, with the building services um, janitorial uh, folks. And um, it's so funny. I remember I was having a conversation with um, the lead organizer um, for New York um, of 32BJ around their airport workers campaign to get the $19 minimum wage for uh-huh. the airports um, that day. And it's like, well, what are you guys working on going forward? And uh, the reaction was, well, we can't tell you now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I get uh, off the subway on my way home and there's a, a text now I can tell you, you know, and there's a the press release about the deal 32BJ signed with with um, with Amazon for the development um, to be providing the building services work and the janitorial and security work um, have those be union gigs right so you had a real split in organized labor um, right a very um, and that put like kind of the, that put the um, the central labor council in a very weird spot. Um, you know, if, if Amazon had been more nuanced, they would have um, they would have played that better, right? They would have done. Um, but you also had like the community based nonprofits, right? You have, um, you know, you have the the nonprofits who are there, and I'm going to try to say this in a way that doesn't make them sound craven. Um, um, you know, sort of problem with doing this work is that the kind of the arm's length objective thing that we're supposed to have as academics doesn't really actually happen. Um, you know, um, but you had the nonprofits who are very comfortable kind of making deals with developments who were included, who were getting folded into the development, you know. So yes, you would get, uh, you know, get your money for your workforce development program um, urban Upbound, and you're all in on supporting the project, right? Um, uh, and then you have a set of nonprofits that are very connected to the Democratic uh, Party machine. Um, and this is where it becomes very complicated. Um, um, and, um, but also because the race politics are messy in a way that I don't necessarily want to talk about on a podcast, um, because I don't know. I think the race politics are potentially there for those that want to drive wedges productively between groups, but productively for their purposes between groups, um, you know, they could do so if they knew better what was going on. It's funny, even, even putting the race aside, it's fascinating to me that this played out the way it did, because one of the rules in politics generally is, you know, you want, uh, you want issues where your side is unified and the other one is divided. And it's clear you've got nonprofits divided, labor unions divided. But despite that, you've got now granted Amazon got what it wanted anyway, but at the very least, you got Amazon backing out of the deal, despite that political uh, that political uh, setting up there, that constellation. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. And, and that's exactly right. Like normally you would want to, you know, like normally when you've got this, when you've got the opposition split, um, you know, you win, 
right? Like that's right. exactly, you know, like that's sort of, that's the starting point you want to have, right? Yep. And, you know, um, and, and yet, um, and yet they didn't, right? And, and actually what's really interesting and important and it is it's part of a broader kind of, um, you know, the de Blasio administration did not have a good couple of years with economic, big economic development projects, right? Like, the, you know, sort of getting shot down in the courts, um, you know, massive community opposition um, in in um, in Brooklyn to Industry City. And there were a whole, and so it was part of a larger kind of real pushback. Um, and I think some of the context for all of it um, is how, in, you know, sort of demonstrably unequal New York City has become. Um, you know, we, we're not quite San Francisco, um, but we're not that far from that. Uh, you know, uh, and um, and so I think some of that, some of the, the sort of really aggressive pushback, um, is, is about that. Um, is about sort of like people. Ha- it felt too much like it, the same as what we've had, but bigger and more. And people, I think, are pretty angry about the same as what we've had, um, and so, um, and so that that's sort of um, how that played out, right? You know, um, I think one of the things that people um, haven't fully done enough with, though, um, is how in industry leaving our cities has altered the politics of development in our cities, right? Because what it has meant is that, you know, it used to have, you'd have manufacturing capital, big manufacturing capital to compete with real estate um, and to compete with finance, um, but they're gone, right? And when they left, um, you didn't only lose their interests in, um, but you lost it, you know, sort of all of the, the unionized labor, all of the kind of industrial unions, right? And so then all of a sudden, who's left? Well, it's healthcare, and who are mostly agnostic about this kind of stuff. And um, although they supported the deal, they eleven ninety nine supported the Amazon deal um, because, of course, their contract is with Governor Cuomo. Um, you know, for for you know Medicaid reimbursement rates, um, and they know what side the bread is buttered on. I guess I probably yeah. should not have put it quite that way. Um, <laughs> it, um, but, uh, but that's, you know, the UFT endorsed a deal, right? You know, why, right? Like, what is it to the school teachers? Um, for the same reason, but, um, but what is meant is that you sort of have the building trades being like the most visible entity in, in urban economic development politics, and they just want to build anything and they don't necessarily really care what they're going to build. Um, and that has sort of shifted um, the politics of local economic development in the post-industrial city in a way that I don't think people fully recognize. That's um, fascinating. Um, so we're running low on time. I do want to wrap in one more thing before before we go, uh, because you do talk a lot about immigration. Um, right. And on the podcast, we're sort of also trying to look forward. And how does this sort of shifting demographics in the city driven by immigration affect these questions that you're talking about? Um, one thing I think, um, one thing I think it's really clear is that there are ways in which the immigrantness of immigrant communities matters. Um, and there are ways in which the immigrantness of immigrant communities doesn't really matter that much. Uh-huh. Right. You know, and, 
And I think what people interested in politics and policy and planning and health um, need to do is not go into immigrant communities with the presumption that the immigrantness is the story. Uh-huh. You know, like, you know, when I was working, when they were going to privatize a big chunk of Flushing Meadow Corona Park, you know, and it was Ecuadorians and um, and Mexicans and Dominicans fighting to keep the park open, working with Koreans and Chinese, all they wanted was to not lose a park where they play with their kids, right? right? Like the important question wasn't whether or not they came from Santo Domingo or from Quito or from right. Seoul or, you know, like the important question was, I'm a parent, I want to play in the park with my kid. Right. You know, and there are a million other ways in which the immigrantness of the communities is not the story. And then I so I think what we when we think about this, what we should do is approach the questions with an open mind about if every person in every community has a lot of different identities and they do um, keep an open mind about which of those identities might actually be the one that you want to be talking about. Right. right. Like, cause there are, cause there are a lot of different, you know, most of what people fight about, um, you know, and then Queens is really important because it's the most immigrant county. It's the most diverse county in the United States and probably the most diverse urban area on the planet with the possible exception of Toronto, um, or parts of Toronto. And, um, and yet most of what people are fighting about in terms of neighborhood politics are about public space, about gentrification, about displacing small businesses um, with retail chain malls, you know, and, you know, and now all of that, the immigrantness is part of every one of those stories. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's because not the you can't, story. Yeah. But it's not the story, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and so that would be when I want, you know, as immigrants continue to transform American cities and American um, suburbs, um, don't always root things in the immigrantness, right? Like really look and see what's going on rather than defining before the fact what actually matters in the case that you're talking about. Excellent. James, thank you very much. I had another set of very different directions we could go in. We're going to have to have you back on and uh, and, and deal with some of those. But thanks a lot. That was fascinating. All right, thank you. All right. And also a big thank you to Amy Cobb and Karen Olson for, uh, for their production work. We'll be back next week with another talk from another expert at the Blaustein School. Until then, stay safe.